Hello and welcome to the review podcast over the Industrial Revolution and the unification of Central Europe. Um, Just for your information, guys, I'm not going to be doing a podcast for the rest of this study guide, um, largely because this is material we've covered this week, and I know it's a lot of material, um, but you'll be just fine on it. Uh, for the most part, uh, anything that I'm not talking about in the study guide, I suggest that you take a good long look at the guiding questions. Be sure that you know the general concepts. Uh, don't worry over much about too many specific terms. Um, however, be able to will, uh, be able to pull comparisons out from different movements. Okay, um, make sure that you are thinking broadly and not looking just for. Um, identification type questions, okay? All right, that being said, let's move on. I am not going to ask you to identify specific uh, inventions from the Industrial Revolution. However, it would be good for you to know uh, approximately what something has done. Um, So if I ask you which of the following inventions was critical in the Agricultural Revolution, And I give you the option of the seed drill, the cotton gin, the spinning jenny, and the steam engine. Your answer ought to be the seed drill. It shouldn't be very difficult. Beyond that, um, terms that you definitely need to know here, please know enclosure. Um, enclosure, of course, is the fencing off of private farmland uh, for uh, that would therefore prohibit grazing uh, and common pastures uh, in Great Britain. Um, this allows uh, large-scale landowners to farm more and be more productive. However, it forces small-scale farmers off the land, and most of them will pick up and move to larger cities. Some of the major questions that we talked about when we did the Industrial Revolution were basically, why does Great Britain industrialize first? Because it does. Um, And the question is, how did one tiny little island get such a jump on everybody else? Well, there were a number of different factors. Number one, there's political stability in Great Britain. Um, Number two, there's a government that is in favor of capitalist uh, uh, investment. Um, So there's uh, a business-friendly environment. Um, This means sometimes that it is a a small-scale farmer-unfriendly environment and that it's not particularly cared cautious with uh, its working poor. However, uh, it does mean that there are advantages for um, factory owners and and people who are interested in starting businesses. This is important. Uh, Great Britain is also kind of the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution simply by an accident of geography. Um, There are large uh, natural deposits of coal in Great Britain, and coal is terribly important uh, if you were going to fuel furnaces. And if you're going to fuel furnaces, you can make steam pumps. And if you can make pumps, you can sure make an engine. So, um, some other major background for this section. Uh, You do need to know who Adam Smith is. Remember, he's the author of The Wealth of of Nations, which is, of course, about laissez-faire economics, hands-off economics um, for for the government. Basically, the idea of capitalism is that uh, the government should not be involved in private enterprise at all. Um, Everything should be uh, run by the invisible hand of the market by the law of supply and demand. Um, contrary ideas to this are going to be socialism, communism, uh, various Marxist theories, so keep that in mind. 
um, let's see here. Uh, we have a major migration going on during the Industrial Revolution. Um, we have sort of the rural to urban migration occurring uh, in various places. Pretty much any country that industrializes, you're going to see a rural to urban migration. People will move from the countryside and move into an urban environment. Um, however, this is going to be en masse, lots of people at once, um, and this is going to be a major problem because cities were not built to house so many people in such crowded conditions. Um, there are real problems with sanitation, overcrowding, high crime rates, uh, a drop in education level, low wages. There are all sorts of problems associated with urbanization. Um, let's see here. Let's talk really quickly about some of the more uh, obscure acts. Uh, obscure things here. Remember, the Factory Act is passed in the 1840s, and this prohibits child labor. You guys did a debate on this topic. Okay. Um, beyond that, uh, utilitarianism. That's John Stuart Mill. His is basically a moral calculus. Uh, the government ought to do what is good for the most number of people. But if that means poor Johnny gets left behind, then that's too bad for poor Johnny, um, so long as everybody else is doing okay. Uh, utopianism is basically the idea uh, of creating a, a perfect place, a society away from the city, usually, um, and where things are done communally. Um, from utopianism, you will have the development of socialism. And socialism is the theory that all economic enterprises ought to be owned um, either publicly publicly, which is kind of a conceptual idea, or by the state. Um, socialism where the state owns everything is called state socialism, okay? Um, so the state would own private enterprises and people are compensated uh, from the proceeds. There is one final thinker from this period, Karl Marx, terribly important fellow. Um, Karl Marx in 1848-1838, I'm forgetting my dates here, my apologies guys, look it up. Um, at any rate, uh, Karl Marx writes uh, the Communist Manifesto and also Das Kapital, um, but the Communist Manifesto is rather, uh, rather memorable. It begins, workers of the world unite, you have nothing to lose but your chains, um, and in it, Marx posits several general ideas. Number one, a cash economy is the eroder of all personal uh, relationships, that uh, um, everything can be traced back to economic uh, disorder. Every problem in the world is at its heart economic. Um, this is really the basis of Marxism. The, the basic premise of Marxism is that everything relates back to the means of production. Everything has an economic cause. Um, and therefore, in order to have a perfect society, um, it is necessary for people to pass through certain economic stages. First, you start off with feudalism, and then you move into a capitalist society, um, where uh, you do have the development of a middle class. For Marx, the creation of a middle class is critical because without the creation of a middle class, there can be no spreading of revolution. He sees the middle class as the engine of the revolution. And the revolution is at first simply a push towards socialism. Then Marx sees uh, the potential for a worldwide revolution leading to communism. And for communism, Marx conceives of an idea 
where all wealth is shared about equally and eventually leads to the complete erosion of a state. You are living without a state. Essentially, you have a new world order, um, no more states, no more countries, okay? So keep that in mind. In socialism, yes, there's a state. In communism, pure communism, no, there isn't, okay? So keep that in mind. Don't confuse the two. All right, let us move on here. Okay, nationalism, unification, and Central Europe. All right, shall we go ahead and start with Italy? I think that sounds pretty good. Okay, in Italy, we have a zillion and two different kingdoms. Remember how complicated it was? We had the Piedmont, we had Sardinia, or excuse me, the Piedmont, uh, we have the Piedmont, we have Sardinia, we have uh, Milan for a period of time, Lombardy for a period of time, Naples, the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, the Papal States, Rome, um, which is of course in the Papal States, not sure why I said that twice, and Venetia. They're all independent. They all do things differently. Um, and there's an attempt to unify. This is largely coming about as a result of the French Revolution and the secondary revolutions of eight, uh, 1848. Um, the center for nationalism in Italy is the, Pied uh, the kingdom of Piedmont Sardinia. Um, and the king of Piedmont Sardinia is initially Carlo Alberto, but he dies fairly early on, so we're going to deal with Vittorio Emmanuel II. Um, Vittorio Emmanuel II and his right-hand man, uh, Count Cavour, um, are convinced that they should be able to unify the entire Italian peninsula um, underneath their rule. So, you have several movements develop, uh, one by uh, Giuseppe Mazzini. Uh, Giuseppe Mazzini starts the Young Italy movement, which will also show up in the Ottoman Empire as the Young Turks. Um, and this is a nationalist movement. Please know your definitions for nationalism. I'm not going to give it to you here because I'm trying to get through this. Um, beyond that, uh, let's see, the Kingdom of Piedmont uh, Sardinia, um, you also have several fighters uh, who who attempt to take control of the, um, excuse me, the peninsula of, of Italy. Um, for a period of time in 1848, there is a movement to uh, take over Rome itself. Um, it is briefly successful. They establish a, a republic in Rome. It doesn't last very long, you'll remember, um, but they do do it. The main contested area in the uh, Italian wars for unification is Venetia, because Venetia is controlled by Austria, and the Italians are not best pleased with this. Now, the Pope has been kind of waffling on whether or not they will support an effort to bring Venetia back under Italian rule. Um, he says, ultimately, that he doesn't want to go to war against another Catholic nation, um, and pulls out. Um, ultimately, the Kingdom of Piedmont Sardinia will uh, triumph. Uh, they will wind up uh, unifying the rest of unity, uh, unity, the rest of Italy under its rule. Okay, I'm moving on very, very quickly here. Uh, let's remember German unification now. Um, okay, you def you definitely need to know who Wilhelm I is, as well as Otto von Bismarck. 
Remember, Otto von Bismarck is a practitioner of real politic, which means essentially that he's a follower of Machiavelli. He believes in this idea that it is perfectly acceptable to do whatever is necessary in order to get what your state or your nation needs. Um, and to this end, Otto von Bismarck will personally start three separate wars, including one where he doctors a telegram uh, in order to provoke the French into a war. Okay. Um, I, we went over this fairly recently, so I'm assuming that you know it, so I'm moving back over to Austria really quickly. Um, the Austrian Empire contained 11 separate nationalities, 11 separate different uh, ethnic groups, um, and, and that means that you have essentially 11 separate uh, potential language differences, religious differences, cultural backgrounds. Um, this is a disparate uh, empire, but it was ruled by one emperor, and uh, there are lots of pressures. Eventually, because of the wars Austria fights both with Italy and then Prussia, um, Austria will be forced to recognize the rights of the Kingdom of Hungary which is the largest ethnic group in its, uh, Hungarians are the largest ethnic or national group within its boundaries. Um, and therefore it becomes essentially a dual kingdom. Um, you have the empire of Austria-Hungary, but the separate kingdom, you have the empire of Austria and the kingdom of Hungary. Um, they have one ruler, but they have essentially two governments. Um, Austria-Hungary is going to be the powder keg of the Balkans. This is really where we're going to see uh, World War I bubble up. Um, this is a place you need to mentally bookmark and be ready to come back to very quickly.